Hi, I'm Doug Draper with Uptime Logistics, powered by Cap Logistics. As always, I'm your host, and we have an amazing show going on today. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Now, in, with Uptime, we talk about supply chain logistics and keeping your systems up. Uh, and then sometimes we take that to people and talk about your systems and your people staying up to maintain stability in your supply chain. And we're going to take that to the next level this go around and we're going to extrapolate it into decades. We're going to talk about decades and, uh, and, and uptime logistics. So our guest today uh, is George Sparks. Uh, before I get into George and, and, and his role and everything, uh, he is the president and CEO of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. So uh, George and I had never met each other before. It was a couple of weeks ago. I attended uh, an event that the museum hosted and the Colorado Business Roundtable, and it was called View from the Top. And it was a way that uh, a lot of nonprofits got together and talked about um, vision and um, some strategies and how that there is really a purpose in profits nowadays. And the one thing that caught my attention, George, and you and I were just talking about it, was kind of your closing remarks. And you did a phenomenal job of defining different decades and explaining what was important in each one of those decades. And you had some great perspective on what 2020 and what that take, what that decade is all about. So that's the official teaser, right? So now we're going to back up a little bit and learn a little bit about you. So that's the premise to the topic. But we always like to learn about our guest, George. So tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got to the museum, and um, and we'll kind of go from there. Thanks, Doug. Uh, first off, though, I have to thank you and all your listeners for what you do. To help society function. I think more than ever, we really appreciate what you do. And and uh, when it starts to go uh, get tough, it means even more to us. So thanks to everybody that is involved in creating our modern life. Mm. So um, I, I grew up in southern West Virginia, a little coal mining town, and uh, went to, uh, I was really lucky in that uh, Senator Robert C. Byrd was a member of our church. And he gave me an appointment to the U.S. Air Force Academy. So at 17 years old, I left home and went to the Air Force Academy, and it was uh, obviously the biggest thing to happen to me in my life. I graduated from there with a degree in aeronautical engineering, became an Air Force pilot, flew for a few years, and then went to MIT, got my master's in aeronautical engineering, and went back to the academy to teach, where I taught for another three years. Uh, after three years, I left the Air Force and joined Hewlett Packard, which was a fabulous company. This is in the, in 1979. The uh, it was a it was a company built for the ages. Dave and Bill were still alive then. Uh, I knew them. They were wonderful leaders, and they really set the tone, if you will, for my business life. I spent 24 years at Hewlett Packard, and uh, when I was 45 years old, I had a coach. And as through that coaching process, I decided that when I turned 55, I was going to leave the business world and go find a nonprofit to run. So six days after I was 55, I retired from Hewlett Packard and uh, about a year later got this job at the museum. And uh, I only got it because one of my friends got a call from the headhunter and said, do you want to be the president of the Museum of Nature and Science? And he said, no, but I'm going to give you a name and you will hire this person in 30 days. I guarantee it. <laughs> That was 17 years ago, and it's uh, it's been a transformative experience for me. It's like my whole life was designed to do something like this. Yeah, that's great. Well, you certainly have had a broad base of, of careers. Um, that, 
that's phenomenal. So again, thanks for joining us. Before we get into um, uh, the topic, I think it's important for everybody to understand kind of what the museum is all about. You know, um, I'm sure most folks have been there at one time or another, whether it's with their kids or a specific event. Great place to walk around. Hey, these exhibits are cool. But I think it's important for our audience to understand kind of the founding, the purpose, and kind of the, you know, the vision and goals of, uh, of the museum and, and, uh, and go from there. So give us a little recap of that, if you don't mind. Yeah, the museum was founded in 1900, so 121 years ago now. And uh, Edwin Carter, if you've ever been to Breckenridge, he has a little cabin up there, and he was a naturalist, had a collection of stuff, and he uh, said, if you, if you guys want to start a museum in Denver, I'll give you my collection, and it is our founding collection. Hmm. Uh, so it was uh, the, the citizens of Denver decided they wanted a museum, and we've been around ever since then. We serve, in 2019, we serve 2.3 million people. We're the third largest natural history museum in the country. We have uh, millions of objects in our collection and our role is to, our mission is to inspire people about nature and science. And that our vision is that we imagine an empowered community where everybody loves, understands, and protects the natural world. And loves means your heart, uh, understands is your head, which we've always done a good job of that, and protects is actually doing something, whether it's policy or individual action to protect the natural world. We have 1,800 volunteers, the most of any natural history museum in the world. Before the pandemic, we had 65,000 households as members. That's most of any natural history museum in the world. And uh, we're, we're very proud of what we're able to do here. We're an iconic institution. There's nobody I can run into in Denver and say, have you ever been to the museum, that they don't say, yep, I love that place. And my job is not to screw it up, just to make sure <laughs> that, that continues to be the case. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. And speaking of iconic, I think you have one of the most iconic views out your back door there. I mean, how many pictures have you taken with the fountain and, and the mountains in the downtown? That, that, yeah. that's, that is phenomenal. Well, I happen to, I just took one about 15 minutes ago. I have a big screen in my office which shows that, and it, there was a particularly interesting view, and I took a picture of it with my iPhone. Yeah, it's great. I've definitely had my few there as well. So, yeah. well, as I mentioned at the onset, you know, I'm, you and I got connected uh, and then met afterwards, but it was during the uh, Colorado Business Roundtable view from, from the top. It was really about uh, vision, and I think the title was, you know, Profits and Purpose. Um, talk a little bit about the focus of, of that specific um, uh, discussion that you had with, with that. And then that's a perfect segue into really the meat and potatoes of this show, which is about your different uh, your different perspectives on, on the decade. So. Give us the lowdown and a quick summary of what that event was all about. Yeah, it was it was to demonstrate that uh, nonprofits uh, they have even though um, well let me back up a nonprofit is a business. The only difference between us and any other business is we don't pay taxes and we don't have shareholders. Uh, donors are major accounts. Back when I was at Hewlett Packard, yeah, I have an R and D team that's I have fourteen PhD curators. Uh, my sales force is, are the people who goes out and sells memberships. Our uh, manufacturing is our product that we put out every day, the, the programs and the exhibits that we produce every day. So it really is no different running a nonprofit as an operation than it was running one of the divisions that I would run at Hewlett Packard. It is a little different in that we have a very specific purpose. We are designed for the public good 
and in this case, to advance nature and science. But everything else that we do, I have a board, we have a strategic plan, we, we watch our financials very assiduously. Uh, and this, this uh, panel that I was on was to demonstrate how are people in the nonprofit sector handling the pandemic and what's different before and after the pandemic. Gotcha. Yeah, and then like I said, the, the, the closing remarks was really interesting and we could dive into generational uh, approaches and priorities, but uh, I think it was great. So this is when we're gonna start talking about the topic right now. Okay, okay. <laughs> is, is uh, you know, the, the, the profits and purpose is really um, kind of your, your take on what happens in 2020. But I think to give that perspective, you gotta go back and, and you had an excellent kind of summary of what the 80s, 90s and 2000s were about. So let's start there. So take us back in time. We're in a time machine. We're back in the 80s. Tell us what your your thoughts were with how the 80s were and then feel free to segment into the 90s and the 2000s like you did during that. Okay. So remember, uh, in the 70s, I was in the Air Force. And uh, in 1979, joined Hewlett Packard. So how do, how do I gain a business mindset? But it was clear to me almost immediately in the 80s that this was the age of quality. The Japanese were killing us with quality of their cars and their electronics, mm -hmm. American businesses after World War II really had no competition. Uh, we, were, we weren't very careful about uh, the quality of our products. We built them to the lowest cost. We just tried to push them out the door, make a lot of profit. And the Japanese, and to a little lesser extent, the Germans came along and were, were really, really good at quality. So you had the Deming Award and the uh, Edward D. Edward Deming was the father of quality, if you, if you will. And his philosophies began uh, being embraced by, especially the American electronics and automobile industry. Anything, it was high volume manufacturing. And then it slowly spread to other, other organizations like ours. And every organization worth its salt in the 80s began to worry about how can we make sure that we build things that are, have the lowest rate of defect and are, meet the customer's needs. And if you do that well, you're going to be successful and your profits will grow. So I, I certainly Hewlett Packard was a leader in that respect. And that's, I cut my teeth on the, in the manufacturing line up in Loveland, Colorado, lowering the, uh, reducing the defects and improving the quality of our products. So that was a huge deal in the 80s. When the 90s came along, we had quality under control and it, it was clear that the world was flattening. You may remember that book, The World is Flat. Uh, we needed access to markets outside the United States. So this was the decade of globalization. We, Hewlett Packard and other companies began building factories overseas. I, I think I went to China something like 20 times in the 1990s uh, in search of both customers and insights for manufacturing. Mm -hmm. We uh, would take some of the products that were built here in the United States, move them offshore, either as a lower cost provider or as an alternate provider to the factories onshore. It also allowed us to dramatically improve our sales uh, overseas. So this idea that the world is uh, multidimensional and we had to participate everywhere around the world, that was the 90s. The 2000s to me was the digital revolution. I, I can't even remember when I didn't have a smartphone. Uh, and computers, computer used to be a big thing that sat on your desk and you come in the morning and maybe you'd you'd do a little email and, and I don't even know what the thing was before we had Zoom, but we'd have these 
these conference calls and they were they were archaic but the 90s really or the 2000s really exploded with the digital revolution uh, there's not a there's not a person today that's not packing a smartphone and that all took place in the first decade of the 2000s in the next decade uh, it was is the I call it the age of social media you don't have a business today unless you're managing the social media the scores your customers give you ensuring that you're out there both marketing through social media monitoring how your customers what they're saying about you and uh, as we're seeing today Facebook has become an enormously powerful force in our country across both politics and our personal lives that all took place in the last decade and businesses have had to respond to that. Mm -hmm. and now the question is, what is this future decade going to going to be? And I believe it's going to be the decade of purpose. If your organization doesn't have a really clear purpose on why they exist, uh, in addition to being profitable or serving customers, anybody that's uh, younger than 40 years old really isn't going to want to work with you. Something has happened capture the imagination of, of uh, young people, and they want to have some, a higher calling than just a job. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that right now in the Great Resignation, where people are reevaluating their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, what do I want to do? Do I want to stay home with my children? Do I want to start a business? Do I want to move back to Florida to be with my parents? I think the pandemic has caused all of us to reevaluate our lives, and I think that's going to be with us for a long, long time. So. Every organization needs to think about why are we here and who are we serving? And it has to be more than just enriching the shareholders. Yeah, and I think that's uh, incredibly valid. And I, I have two kids that are in college right now and I see that in, them, in, in their comments and in their interests. And you know, it's not all about how fast can I make my first million by the time I'm 30. It, it truly is what is the purpose in my life and what am I doing here? So I would agree 100%. Yeah. You know, the, the one thing, um, being a little bit older, right, I'm on the north side of 50, so uh, the first thing is, well, if I have purpose, does that mean I have to have a pay cut, right? Because at the same time, my kids want to do all these altruistic things. I'm like, hey, you still got to pay a mortgage, and, and, you know, I'm not, there's no more allowance coming your way, and, uh, and you got to get out there. So initially, from an old-timer's perspective, I guess, like myself, is does that mean that you have to give up? Um, you know, a livelihood and, and money. Does purpose mean less money, I guess, would be the blunt question. I, I, I reject that. I think that the most successful businesses, the most successful organizations are going to be the ones that do have a purpose and they will have to pay more in order to, to have the highest, uh, most talented people working for them. So, no, I completely reject that, the supposition where this is not about sackcloth and ashes and sacrificing your personal well-being or your family's well-being in order to serve a higher purpose. I really believe those things go together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I made mention of, of, you know, my kids being in the college age, but uh, do you see, and we focus on the younger generation embracing this, but have you seen uh, the, the older generation um, saying, hey, man, I'm done. This, you know, I'm going to, I need to find my purpose and working for a paycheck and working for the man, so to speak may not be what I want to do in the second half. So my question to you is, are you seeing older older folks and people that have tenure in their career have the same type of approach? Yeah, I, we've had uh, a few people at the museum who are in their 50s, mm -hmm. not ready to stop working, but they're saying, I think 
I'm going to take a little time off and reevaluate what I'm going to be doing. And one or two of them have started businesses. One of them, uh, another one had gone to join a family business. So I think it's affected all of us to a certain degree. And each one of us has to evaluate how do we want to spend the rest of our life. And, and uh, right now is a good time to be thinking about that. Mm-hmm, for sure. So th- this is kind of a, this would be a tricky question. I got to, I got to ask it, right? Because there's always, you know, a potential downside. You know, I think in your, in your nineties, when you talked about the globalization of the economy, a lot of that from logistics and supply chain was just in time inventory management. And we just want to buy what, you know, what we want to consume. And, and we were talking before our interview here about how crazy the supply chain world is right now. And maybe, um, lean inventories and lean lean logistics and things are potentially not as good as they uh, as we may have thought at once. So, yeah. my point is that's an example of maybe the globalization and running lean could have problems. Do you see any um, problems or disadvantages to having kind of a uh, a purposeful focus in life and in your career? I I think the biggest risk to an organization if they uh, declare vigorously to the world and to their staff that they have a purpose is when they come up short of that purpose through uh, either some nefarious activity or just keep taking their eye off the ball or it, the worst case is hypocrisy. If the, if your staff finds that you say your purpose is A and you really aren't following through on that and you're hypocritical about it, that's the absolute worst case. That's the downside because Mm-hmm. You declare what you're going to do. You you darn well better figure out a way to make sure you can do that. Yeah. So I'm going to take the flip side of that, right? We've been talking about the individuals and their approach to to purpose. Let's talk about the company, right? So I'm now trying to find the the best and the brightest out there, and I know that my company needs to be purposeful, and it's more than just a paycheck. Um, do you think that companies will embrace that mind? Uh, that, that paradigm shift as well? Because I, I mean, a little bit skeptical, not not skeptical with this topic, but just plain devil's advocate. It's like, okay, I'm this company. I got to check a box because these people care about this right now. And just exactly what you said, I'll say that my company has purpose, but maybe it does or maybe it doesn't, but that's who gets the people in the door. Do you think companies are going to embrace the concept of, of having a meaningful place to work? Yeah, I think the biggest example of this is the... Uh is the equity issue right now. After the murder of George Floyd, a lot of companies came out and made a big public statement about racial uh, equity and how they were going to work on that. Clearly, some of those companies have not done anything. I think they're at great risk now if their employees call them on the matter. On the other hand, there's an organization in Colorado called the Colorado Inclusive Economy. Mm-hmm. These are CEOs that's, that have declared that we are going to work on this and we're going to make a difference. And right now, we're up to 75 companies that have joined this. I'm on the board of this organization, and it was one of the original 25 cohort. And I've been really impressed by the CEOs that are spending time and resources to ensure that they understand how they can improve the equity uh, of their organizations. And it's a lot of work, but uh, everyone that I've met in this in this effort really does care about it. Now, not everybody out there uh, does care about it, and it's easy to just uh, give platitudes to this. But in the end, I think we'll all be better off if we actually work on this and work on it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, valid, valid. 
So um, uh, a couple more things here, and then I'm going to uh, ask you to uh, put your uh, your hat on and think a couple more years in the future. But uh, you know, for a company that, that that wants to try to find their purpose, right? Like, hey, I get it. I know that to, to get these people in here and people want more than just a paycheck and how much money is the company making. And if a, a business isn't really sure how to go about doing that, uh, would they get some um, some mentors through the organization you just spoke about? Or what advice would you give to companies to try to find that, that point or rally around something bigger than profit? I think the executive team really does need to spend some time together thinking about this. It's not just the CEO's role. It's not the board's role. But I do believe that the whoever the key, the key team is that helps set the strategy of the organization, they need to be thinking about what is our purpose in addition to what is our strategy, quote unquote, to be successful for the future. I think those two things go together really well. Uh, there are a lot of things out there you can read. There are people you can hire. But in the end, a small group of people have to decide what is going to be the purpose of this organization. Hmm. And yeah. uh, the Colorado Inclusive Economy, if, if people are interested, they can send me an email. and I'll put them in touch with Helen Hayes, the founder of this, and, and we'd love to chat with them. About, but that's only one purpose. Other purposes could be around homelessness or, or uh, the environment. There are a lot of things to work on out there. And uh, it, it's a target-rich environment right now, if you will, that uh, that companies can choose from. Yeah. No, I think that's – I like that you brought that up because it's just not about what's in the headlines right now that we can – you know, what – what, um, yeah, like what's in the headlines that, that we'll get – but really what what is your passion? What What is yeah. the leadership, the ownership? Uh, what do they want to focus on and what do they believe in? Because you can have purpose in a lot of different things, not just what's on the daily headline in the news at the moment. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, so we're going to put your uh, your globe or your crystal ball. I don't know if you have one there in your office or not, but <laughs> but um, let, let's talk about the second half of this decade or even in the 20, in the 2030s, right? It, it's easy to say, here's what happened, right? So you have excellent perspective on, on these, the decades leading up. What, what, Give us some future trends, if you will, of kind of how the, the business world and and employers and employees will engage together. So what, what's the 2030s look like, I guess, is the short question. <laughs> yeah. So right now I'm uh, I'm really concerned about the uh, the future of our democratic republic. Mm -hmm. We are in a highly polarized environment right now where it's really difficult to get anything done. We view people who have different opinions from us as being evil. We get our joy not from accomplishing things ourselves, but from seeing the other side fail. And uh, I, I think we're at a very, very risky place right now. I'm hoping we somewhere leadership emerges to try to bring us back together. I'm reading a book now that talks about the beginning of the end of the Roman Empire. And so many of the things that were happening back then are being are happening today. So my pessimistic self says business is going to have to deal with a government that's increasingly ineffective in taking care of its people, taking care of the environment, monitoring the business world. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I do believe that we're going to have to solve this political and social issue uh, in order for business to be successful in the future. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's very valid. And as I mentioned on the news, you see that 
way too often and um and it's interesting the social media piece of it you know you and i could have a whole nother sidebar conversation just about the the spiral nature there are tremendous benefits with what uh um you know the the social aspects up and uh but there are definitely some some downfalls as well yeah yeah we've definitely gotten off in our tribes and uh, the social media almost is designed to polarize people it makes it more interesting, if you will, if you're doing that. So we've got ourselves a, a little bit in a cul-de-sac right now, and I hope we can back the tractor trailer out of it and, and get on with it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned tractor trailer because this is all about supply chain and logistics. So th- thanks for that plug, right? That's great. So um, going back to uh, the view from the top, I know that it was a lot about pre and post COVID with, with all of the organizations that were part of the event. Tell us. I'm going to shift back to uh, uh, to the to the museum. Tell us what's going on um, for 2022. What what should uh, folks be looking for? And and tell us some cool stuff happening next year. Yeah. So uh, right now we're about to open an exhibition around the survival of the slowest. We always think about survival being strongest and the fastest, but actually, are there are critters that uh, survive by being slow, like like turtles and sloths and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a fascinating exhibition. And then in November, we're opening one around, uh, around guitars, the science of guitars. We're going to have some noted guitar players uh, coming to the museum to, uh, to also to help us out here. Uh, and then in, uh, in next year, we have a, a fabulous exhibit around Egypt. That's going to be a really, I think it's going to be a, a blockbuster for us. Yeah, um, we, we don't typically pre-announce these, but that's gonna that's a big deal for next year. All right. Well, it's cutting edge, and I appreciate you uh, letting you our audience it. on uptime yeah. logistics get yeah. get the inside scoop. Yeah, you got you heard it here first. My marketing department would probably shoot me that I. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just thinking when whenever you talked about that, uh, I won't say it again. So there's no, you know, we don't do anything wrong. But the exhibit you spoke about, it would be an awesome show for uptime logistics to focus on the 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 logistics of moving one of these, um, you you know, one of these exhibits around. I mean, this is one of a kind. It's not like, hey, we'll make another one next week. This is, it's amazing with probably the behind the scenes aspect of what goes in and out of your facility is absolutely amazing. So I got here at six o'clock this morning. There were, there were five tractor trailers parked outside the museum, cones around them, getting ready to be unloaded. And I just got a report a few minutes ago that everything is unloaded and it's in the building and we are assembling uh, survival of the slowest as we speak. Oh, good. It's good. a huge deal. It's a very, very complex process, both the install and the teardown. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I mean, you, we our industry, we think so much about trade shows and, and that's a very archaic uh, way to describe what you have going on because it's not a trade show by any stretch of the means. But God, I just can't fathom the amount of detail and and timing and scheduling that's involved. So we'll, you may hear from me again, George, to try to find the right people in your organization to get on this show again. Oh, we'd love to. We'd love to do that. We we have a great team, and they've got it down to a science. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, George, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. You know, I, it's so great. It's one of those things that I heard your your comments and within like uh, a couple of days, we had this thing scheduled, ready to go. So your perspective on the different decades, in my opinion, spot on. And I think, uh, you know, your vision of what is uh, is coming down the road with purpose 
and uh, and everything is just great. So, George, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. My pleasure, Doug. Thank you. Absolutely. And I'd like to thank our, our audience, our Uptime Logistics audience, for, for joining us today. Of course, it's powered by Cap Logistics. You can find more information about the show in the description below. And obviously, don't forget to uh, subscribe and like the channel at caplogistics.com. So until the next show and until we meet again, I want to thank our audience for joining us on Uptime Logistics. Take care.